This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. So, brothers no? and sisters, welcome to Christchurch, Jerusalem, to our uh, Bible study, The Last Words of Moses. And would you believe it? This really is the last words of Moses. He's going to uh, die today. And we have done 55 of these things, okay? So we have been studying this for over a year. It has been a delight. It has been um, a wrestle with some of the things that he's, Moses has been putting before us. Um, but uh, it's also our joy to continue to study uh, the words of God through the man of God, the man Moses. But we acknowledge that the Lord is present. We acknowledge that his spirit is here. He is the one that is teaching us as we teach ourselves and each other. And it is a, also a, an honor to be able to welcome him and to acknowledge his presence. So, sister, would you pray us in? Okay. Also, Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And Father, we thank you for this wonderful teaching that we have gone through. And Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we will all see something new. We will all hear something as a revelation. And Lord, give us eyes to see what you want to do through your word in our lives to the glory of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. To the glory of God. Amen. All right. So as is our tradition, we go over last week's uh, notes, which is, oh, hang on. Oh, man, forgot. Let's put these in the chat box. Oops. All right. There they are. Everybody got them now? Yep. Fantastic. Thanks, Linda. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. There we go. So these are, these are, you can read them. They'll be on, obviously, online. Download them at your leisure. These are from last week's, which was number 54, our study of Deuteronomy 33. A summary. Following his song, which was Deuteronomy 32, the next act of Moses is to bless the people before he himself departs from them and this world. Many commentators note that this song was most likely recorded by Joshua, who similarly recorded the death of Moses. The song of blessing has some similar characteristics to the blessing of Jacob in Genesis 49. One major feature of the blessing from Moses is the absence of the tribe of Simeon. Much of the blessing is in the third person, leading to the conclusion as Joshua as the author, redactor, or recorder of the blessing. The blessing begins with God having appeared on three mountains, Sinai, Sair, and Paran. Jewish tradition said that God had first offered the Torah to the firstborns, Esau on Sair, and Ishmael at Paran. They rejected the Torah, which was then accepted by Israel. God appears with a large but undisclosed number of angels. Tradition says that there was one angel for every man of Israel, which has given rise to the belief in personal guardian angels. 
Another tradition reflected in Paul in Galatians 3.19 and Hebrews 2.2, that those angels also carried and delivered the Torah to Moses. God brings the Torah and is also proclaimed king over Jeshurun, which is Israel. We see the connection of kingship with the Torah as one of the few commands given to a king is to write a personal copy of the Torah upon ascension to the throne. So at at Sinai, God becomes king and he delivers his Torah. The rule for kings is you ascend to the throne, write the Bible. What follows next are the blessings to the tribes, Bar Simeon. Reuven and Judah receive brief blessings, whereas Levi seems to deserve an extended one. Jewish tradition has given each tribe a sigil, a sign that represents them according to the blessings of Jacob and Moses. It is not always clear why those sigils are awarded to certain tribes. For example, Judah has the sigil of the lion and Benjamin the sigil of the wolf, both of which are sourced from Jacob's blessing, but now Moses's. In Moses' blessing, Dan is described as the lion's cub and Gad as a lion. Zebulon has the sigil of a boat and is blessed as a trader, yet his territory is landlocked with no access to the sea. Zebulon and Issachar are blessed together, with Issachar remaining in tents and Zebulon going out. This has been exegeted to show that the connection between the study of Torah and supporting those who study Torah. Issachar remains inside the Beit Midrash and occupies himself with study and then teaches others, notably Zebulon, who returns the favor by access to water and conducting himself with trade and merchandise. Zebulon then uses his accrued wealth to support Issachar in his studies. Levi is blessed with the Urim and Thummim, which are some sort of divine communication device that allows direct dispatches and communicates to heaven. This becomes his sigil and coincides with his role as teacher of the Torah to the tribes, a role that has been supplanted by rabbinic Judaism. Benjamin has the blessing of the beloved resting in his territory. Jewish exegesis says the beloved is the temple and notes that the first king was also from Benjamin. Joseph gets an extended blessing with Ephraim and Manasseh, occupying the largest territory and many of the northern Israelite kings coming from Ephraim. Perhaps this leads to the tribe of Ephraim becoming synonymous with Israel in the prophets. Dan is noted as being in Bashan, a northern area of the Golan Heights, which was not his allotted land around the coastal plains of Tel Aviv, again indicating a later redactor described the blessing of Moses. There are no satisfying answers as to the exclusion of Simeon here, as he is again included in the prophecy in Ezekiel 48. That is, we don't know why. No one knows why Simeon is not here in Deuteronomy. He is in Genesis and he is in Ezekiel, just not here. 
and no commentary really gives you a satisfying answer because none of us actually really know. And so now we turn to the death of Moses. All right. Everyone ready for the last short final chapter? Everyone prepared to actually finish this study? Okay, all right, fair enough. It say it's not true. That's right. <laughs> all right, here we go. So Deuteronomy 34, reading from an ESV. Not the best translation, but not the worst. Certainly it's the very easy, solid translation. Okay. Then <clears throat> Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead, as far as Dan, and Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Western Sea, the Negev, and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go there. So Moses, servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Awesome. Okay, so as is our tradition, based on a literal reading, Peshat, just the simple reading, what is it, guys or girls, that stands out, that, uh, that jumps out at you in, the, in this little narration of Moses finally leaving the planet? Yeah, I, it's, it's funny because I've just really noticed for the first time or taken in for the first time um, and in verse 9 where it says Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him mm -hmm. I've, yep. I've just I've never really taken that in before now. yep wow. actually I noticed that um, as as well yeah. Linda I was like oh, oh my gosh yeah and yeah. because what is the tradition when you ordain um, a deacon or a priest what do the bishops do anyone know their hands on you. Yes, and why do they do that? Gives them something to do. 
<laughs> but no, that's seriously. Yeah. No. Because if, if you don't give a bishop something to do with his hands, he'll like like start stealing stuff. Yeah. It's an that's anointing. Quite, quite, yeah. They it's actually, an anointing, it's that consecration. It's, it's a conferring power. Correct. And who where does the power come from? Come from, the, from God through the bishop. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the Holy Spirit. And it's the yeah. same what you see in the book of Acts, the idea of laying hands on someone mm. so that you receive mm. the Holy Spirit and you go, oh, where does that idea come from? Some crazy Christian invented this, you know, some spiritualist Gentile who was thinking, you know, um, crazy uh, spirits. No, it actually comes from the Torah. Is that, um, that Joshua himself he received something. Why? Because God gave it to him? Yes, but also through a human. And you see that, 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 that constant unity in the program of God, that God will do stuff, absolutely, but he will do it through a human. And why does the Messiah have to be fully God and fully human? Because that's the way you redeem the world. It's this, it, I don't know why. You don't know why. No one knows why. But it is the story, and it's a story we partake in, and it's an actual blessing of story because we are humans. And so we have this part of the, of the story to play with the Lord. So, Lord, you want to reach out and touch this world? You got it. You can use me. I can be your human vessel that can uh, come and interact with this, with this creation. Bernardo, you have a hand raised. Is that true? Yeah. Go for it. So verse 6, it says, Yehovah buries Moshe. Yeah. Yes. What so do we make of that? It's clear. For me, it's really clear. Like yeah. all the people that are proclamation and all that, I tell them, even God himself sets the example right here to bury a person. Yeah. So people are burying their pets, but they're cremating their relatives and their family. It's just Actually, absurd. I hadn't thought of that. That's a very interesting point. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yes, they are. They're burying their pets in the back garden by the roses uh, to assist, apparently, and, uh, and, but they'll burn mum. Yep. And, uh, but how long does it take to become uh, dust, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust? If it takes six weeks or six months, it's the same thing, or if you do it instantly. Yeah. What's the difference? The body's not yeah. hanging around in the earth, right? Well, this is also true, but the 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 um, example that is set before you is is one of burial, and uh, while you and I might not might not know the exact reason why God doesn't just burn him up, because um, they burn everything else up, they can burn all kinds of stuff on the altar, um, but there is this action of burial which seems honorific which seems somewhat divine in its nature um and uh, maybe we can ask the rabbi moti yeah. uh, you and i haven't haven't uh, thought about this before but um what is it about cremation that jews are, are not allowed to do okay. oh moti is the rabbi Oh, Bernardo, you haven't met? Okay, so Bernardo, Bernardo's from Mexico, is our brother from Mexico, okay, and Moti Wieberman um, is a Chabad rabbi, now a, oh, he's still a Chabad rabbi, but he's a believer also in Yeshua, so let's ask him. What do you reckon, Moti? Oh, my rabbi told me to not call anybody rabbi. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> excuse me, Moti, I'm going to call okay. you Moti. 
call, call him Moti. We all do. Okay. Moti, yeah, you Moti, can you can call me whatever you wish, but your rabbi didn't tell uh, not to call people rabbi. He told not to call people fathers. No, rabbi and father, Avi and Rabbi. Rabbi, Avi, Avi, Rabbi. I'm not going to call Rabbi Nachman, Abi Nachman, or you. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. 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 So tell us, uh, brother, what do you think? About what? Again. About cremation. Well, I don't think anything about it. <laughs> okay. Well, that was easy. Okay. Yeah. And moving on. <laughs> well, I just want to point something interesting here. In Talmud Sotah. It says, it records an opinion that Moshe did not die. Okay. And remains alive to this day. Like Yaakov Avino. And even it says that every generation, sorry, I'm translating it from Hebrew. It says, it continues the existence to this day and every Jewish religious leader of each generation whose body's house, you know, is the, the Moshe Rabbeinu. So, I'm not talking, uh, there are two opinions. One say physically and other say spiritually. Okay. But verse seven says, "Verse seven records." Yeah, he buried, but we, we don't know what they what do they mean by that, okay. because we don't have his uh, grave here, you know. Yeah. So what it is is it's a mystical. He has a mystical uh, birth, right? With his yeah, um, and a mystical death, yeah, and a mystical death, which gives you a lot of. Uh, there's a great tradition, which I can uh, tell you now. It's in. Um, uh, Lewis Ginsburg, Legends of the Jews. If anybody has not heard of this collection, I'll type it in the chat. Okay. It's um, uh, Lewis Ginsburg, Legends of the Jews. Okay. It is five volumes plus an appendix, so it's actually six books. You will, it is out of print, so you are going to have to um, probably purchase it uh, on Amazon or something. It contains a collection and anthology of every legend that he could find on, um, on, on Jewish tradition, and they are well worth reading. Okay, Now, they're legends, but some of them appear in the New Testament. So you start to scratch your head and go, okay, how much is legend and how much is semi-fact or whatever. So he has a legend where God buries Moses. But, of course, what's the issue with that? What's the problem of God, God burying Moses? He can't touch death, right? Correct. He cannot <laughs> touch death. He has actually said in the Torah, death must never enter my presence. I am life. So if you've got death on you, you've got to go and have a mikveh. So how can God touch death? Well, of course, we don't know that. So um, you end up with the legend 
that um, angels come down to bury him. And there were three, Michael, Gabriel, and another one. You ready for this? Zagzagel. Yay, I'll better, better type, I know, I better type that one in the, um, in the, there you go. Zagzagel, all right. So there were these three angels and, um, and they arranged Moses's uh, uh, grave. In fact, they moved him from where he died to another place. And, um, and Zagzagel becomes the angel of wisdom. And he ends up uh, teaching a lot of the wise people. And there's lots of stories um, of this angel coming and departing wisdom amongst uh, the people. And um, the part of Moses that God could touch was which part? Anyone know? You can't touch your body. Which part do you touch? The hair. Nefesh. <laughs> yes, well done. His nefesh, his soul. And so um, there's this, there's this, I mean, let's read the story and let's see um, the actual one story. Let's actually read the text and see where it uh, appears in the story. So Moses went up from the verse 1, 34 verse 1. Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo. So his very last act as a human on the planet is climb a mountain. Yeah. What do you guys want to do when you die? You want to climb a mountain? Yes, of course you do. So he does. And he goes to the top to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which, you know, is that what you call the summit of any mountain? Okay, a Pisgah. It's a view. And uh, like Pisgat Ze'ev, the view of Ze'ev, okay? and, uh, and he, which is a place in Jerusalem, which is opposite Jericho, gives you the location. And the Lord showed him all the land. And it begins to um, describe them, Gilead, as far as Dan, which is interesting because Dan was supposed to be where? Tel Aviv. But the Dan they're mentioning here is the Dan Dan that we know today, which is the north. So, again, highlighting this is most likely a um, redactor. And Naphtali, which is uh, just north of the Galilee near Le uh, Lebanon. The land of Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh was part on the West Bank and part on the East Bank. Ephraim is where you would build the tabernacle. Okay, Shiloh is in the territory of Ephraim. So Moses, while he may not have been able to see Jerusalem, he certainly could see the first place where the, the tabernacle would, would get placed down for hundreds of years. Uh, he also got to see the land of Judah as far as the Western Sea, which is, of course, as you know, Mediterranean. The Negev, which is, means dry, okay, the desert, what we call the desert, but Negev in Hebrew means dry. Um, um, it's also the word for towel, by the way. Megava, same Shoresh, is the that you use a towel to dry yourself. That's how they create Hebrew words. And the plains, that is the Valley of Jericho, the city of Palms. So Jericho, one of the oldest cities in the in the world. Damascus and Jericho both share um, the uh, honor of being the oldest inhabited cities on the planet. As far as Zoar, which I 100% off the top of my head do not know where that is. 
And the Lord said to him, I will give your offspring. Uh, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is remembering. Remember, God has sworn an oath, which is an interesting thing even to contemplate, that the divine uh, uh, God would swear to a human uh, anything, but it demonstrates his love and his compassion, even just to talk to us. Uh, and I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes. You shall not cross over there, which is exactly what you see in chapter one of Deuteronomy. This is, this is almost almost word for word. Okay, uh, is God has said you can't go over, but you can see it. So Moses, the servant of the Lord. Now that's a nice title. Out of all the titles you can possibly get on the planet, and there are many. Um, he gets called the servant of the Lord. Sometimes he gets called Isha Elohim, the man of God. Uh, here he is servant. So he died. And according to the word of the Lord, he died. Why? Because he was old. He died according to the word of the Lord. Why? Because uh, then it says he was buried in the land of the Moab, opposite Beth Baor. So he is buried in the land of Moab, but we don't 100% know where that is. He was 120 years old. <clears throat> 120, not 120 and a half. 120 in three days. He was 120. And his eyes were undimmed. So he didn't wear glasses like most of us. And his vigor was unabated. What does that mean? That's how I climbed the mountain. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The guy had some energy. So his vigor was unabated. What does that mean? Not diminished. It wasn't taken away yet. Yes, yeah, so he Moses. He did lose his strength. He did not lose his strength. So. Was he going to die this day, normally, naturally? No. Correct. There is not. What does verse... Yes, what does verse 5 say? So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the light according to the word of the Lord. So the only reason Moses died is because God told him to. Right? They, 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 his eyes were not dimmed and his vigor was unabated. There was no reason he was not sick. His, his heart was not ready to give out. The guy had just climbed a mountain. Right? And, um, and so the Jewish exegesis is you die when God tell you to die. Right? Um, which, is a very, which is an interesting thought when you think about it. Okay. Aaron, something else that caused, caused, um, caught my attention uh, previously to the dimming of the eyes. Um, it's, you know, you have that passage in, in Psalms and open my eyes that I may behold the wonderful things from your law. And we have a couple uh, people, uh, patriarchs in the Bible and, and prophets who, who eyes were dim, for example, Jacob. Yep. And, and Eli. So it's this concept of, you know, the eyes and the spiritual vision and um, having the dimness of the eyes. Moses did not have that. So that spiritual vision and as well as his 
spiritual strength. So it's um, an interesting concept. Yeah, it is. And, um, and there is actually some other, it's obviously there's books that are in our Bible which describe other heroes of God uh, where God tells them, time for you to die, and they all refuse. Uh, my favorite is the Egyptian book, Testament of Abraham. Okay, for those that have never read it, I'll just type it in the chat, Testament of Abraham. Okay, this is a book that is in the Egyptian Coptic canon. Okay, uh, they also have two other books, the Testament of Isaac and the Testament of Jacob. But the Testament of Abraham's uh, my favorite because um, uh, it's about 20 chapters long and has lots of information. Um, it describes how God tells Michael, go down and tell Abraham it's time for him to die and so that he can issue a testament. He can do a, like Jacob did in Genesis 49, bless his kids and settle all his affairs. And um, that's why it's called a testament. There's, there's a genre of literature called the testimonial, testamental literature. And uh, there's a bunch of books where all the heroes of God have a, a testament. Um, Michael, the angel, comes down, tells Abraham, time for you to die. And Abraham refuses. He says, no, nah, not going to do it. So <laughs> Moses does not refuse. He acquiesces. And, um, and uh uh, and, and proceeds to, um, to, to go up the mountain. Now let's think about this scenario vis-a-vis what the people of Israel see. The people um, of Israel have just had Moshe speak to them, blah, 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 blah. He then turns around and hikes up a mountain, and they never see him again. They don't see him die. Right? So they, what do they do? How do they know that he's dead? It most probably told them he was going up to die. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. See you, chaps. I'm out of here. You know, you, you bunch of stubborn complainers. I've, I've had enough. <laughs> no, they probably announced that he was dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he could have been. He couldn't have been able to announce his own death. I mean, he's dead. If he's dead, but yeah. anyway. no, but they, they, they could have saw it too because we are talking about four million people. How can they see him? Yeah, and when you say that you know, Abraham refused to die. I mean, it's actually kind of applies to this day too. You see, many people who live until 120, 130, you know? And there are yeah, other people yeah. who dies very young. I mean, unless they have a very, you know, terrible, horrible uh, sickness, I think it's up to us to, uh, you know, focus on the life. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, just like Sharon posted in, in the book of Jude, yeah. it, it showed in Jude, it talks about um, the mysticism around the death of... Um, yeah. Moses, uh, now the angels contended for his bodies, and um, Satan was also contending for his body. And um, we also know that um, everyone that appeared to Yeshua, I mean, we saw um, Moses and Elijah appearing to Yeshua, 
from that incident in the Mount of Transfiguration, we realized that Moses did not die because if he died, he would not have been able to appear with um, Yeshua. And, um, you know, like I always tell people that Moses finally made it into the land because he appeared on the the Mount of Olive, and so he made it into the land finally. Um, It's because um, from what we read from Jude, um, there's a lot of mysticism around his death, and um, the Lord took him, and he was, I believe, is one of those people that, um, like um, Enoch, that, um, you know, went to heaven, and they were kind of raptured before. And Elijah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of believing the oral Torah over the written Torah, isn't it? Well, Jude is reflecting the oral Torah, Bernardo. Yeah, because, because I know. it's not it's not written here that Michael or any of the angels did. It's a yeah. tradition that yeah. obviously uh, it, it's not a tradition. God says He comes with angels. That's what we read in Deuteronomy thirty-three. Myriads of them. Right, we so we know he's not alone. He says, uh, Deuteronomy uh, uh, 33, verse 1, he comes with ten thousands of his holy ones, so he's not alone. The um, the oral tradition is because they're trying to to wrestle with this, this, this uh, this um, conundrum can God touch a dead thing? That's just not possible. He is life, he can't possibly. So, of course, they have to say, Oh, well. One of the angels that showed up with him did it for him. That doesn't mean he's not there. Well, which part of, of Moses did he take? And, of course, the answer was, and you said it right, the soul. They have a, a lovely story of um, a, uh, Michael covers Moses and guards him with a blanket and a nice nice shroud and um, Gabriel arranges his feet and Zagzagel arranges his uh, his head and they, they, they give him like the honor guard and Satan comes to try and do some stuff and Michael goes and defends him. Meanwhile, God looks at the body of Moses and says, well, come out, soul, time for you to go. And, uh, and, and Moses actually speaks to his own soul. This is in the legends and says, you can go, time, time to depart. Go back to the one who made you. And uh, the, the soul departs the body. The body was going to fall apart eventually, but the soul being made by God at creation is holy and, and, and beautiful. And God takes that himself and uh, escorts it to heaven. Now, that's a midrash. That's an oral tradition, which is written down as a legend, and it discusses some very beautiful themes. Um, about uh, what happens to people when they die and, and where does the soul go and, and what happens to the body. So they, they have to find the Shroud of, of Pisgah or what? Yeah, that's it. That's, yeah, not the Shroud of Turin. We need the Shroud of Pisgah. Uh, actually, I have never heard of a Jewish tradition on the Shroud of that. Um, that's interesting. Man, they could have milked that for millions of shekels, but they didn't. Um, um, you actually get no, as, as, as the text says, no one has a clue where Moshe is buried. Uh, not a clue. And uh, he doesn't. His name doesn't even appear in the Haggadah at Pesach. Right when you when you read the Haggadah at Pesach, Moshe is not mentioned. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. He's humble. Aaron, 
Yeah. I think it was really wise of God because people would be so, you know, they would have the propensity to worship him, right? Or to worship his bones or sure. something about Moses or make a shrine around him or something like that. And I think it's really wise because he was such a powerfully used by God man that you don't want to bring glory to man, right? You always want to bring glory sure. to God. You want to give glory to God. Yes, I get it. Um, that doesn't mean that heroes aren't worth honor, okay? So you, it is okay to, to honor a hero. God even honors heroes. But, but yes, you can't elevate them beyond what they should be. Um, when uh, Moshe uh, uh, Rambam, Rabbi uh, Moshe Maimonides died and they buried him, what did they put on the epitaph of his tomb? Does anyone know? It says, Memoshe le Moshe ain ish como Moshe. From Moses to Moses, there's no one like Moses. And uh, because he had, he had written the Mishnah Torah, he had uh, written Guide to the Plex. You know, you know, Wallah, he made a lot of balagans. He, yes, I have to agree with you, brother. He had a, he oh. had a lot of issues, that kid. People, <laughs> people, people like reading his uh, articles or books more than they read the Torah itself. And it makes me so sad because whenever you try to have a debate with a rabbi, they always will point something from Rambam. But who is he? You know, he's a rabbi. You don't have to praise him. I'm a rabbi. If I read a book now, right? And after 500 years, they worship that book and they consider it as holy as true. I really don't understand it. He lived there, you know, a couple hundred years ago. And he wrote some books, even on Jesus, you know. He wrote some bad stuff about him. And people today, you know, use, use that book or that article in order to, you know, answer your questions back. But I don't need to have an answer from him. Talmud is kind of a good book, you know. I don't consider it as holy because it's a history book. It's my history, right? But the Rambam... They even named the hospital after him in Haifa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did. And you streets know. named after him. And, and yeah. you see here, even in his tomb, you see from Moshe, where is Moshe Rabbeinu, where is Rambam? You can't even you know, think them together. And, but people like praising their leaders, their rabbis, you know. Yeah, unfortunately, they do. And, and, and I'm always stunned uh, when, I, when I encounter... Um, I, I will use the word idol worship, but I use it very mm. lightly. Um, uh, but a, a, a definite high appreciation of past rabbis, almost like saints in the Catholic Church. Yeah, but you, you cannot compare Moshe Rabbeinu to Rambam, right? No, no point to write it in the, in the gravestone. <laughs> yeah. On the gravestone. Stop yeah, it. I oh, I think a good verse, you guys, is like in Ecclesiastes. It's, um, I think, Ecclesiastes 12, um, uh, 7. And the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So yep. you know that concept that that the spirit returned to God? And then that girl in the New Testament that had died, and God returned the spirit back to her body because, yep. you know, that guy raised her from the dead. So, you know, he, he takes the spirit and gives it when he wants, you know? Yep. And this it also harkens to um, the oral tradition because it's not written in the text, but it can be implied by the text that when God finished creation, he had actually finished. 
right? Which means he actually had made all the souls that would ever be. God is not creating new souls. And so there is this concept, it's a Jewish tradition, that there is a finite number, which is also implied by Romans. When Paul says, when the full number of Gentiles comes in, when the finite number is yeah. reached. Yeah. And yeah. so, and it, and it links that souls come from heaven. God has made them all. They're beautiful. He loves them. They are put inside mortal bodies, but they return to God, which is what you see in Ecclesiastes. You see it sometimes in the Psalms. Uh, there's probably even a proverb, but I can't quote it off the top of my head. Um, the, the souls return to the Lord, and he takes care of them. Mm -hmm. And um, The well of souls. The well of souls, yes, which you see in um, not only oral tradition uh, with the tree of life and all of those kinds of things, but also in Islamic tradition, which is borrowing from Judaism. And so for those that want to go to the Temple Mountain, uh, and go to the Dome of the Rock, because I all know you want to, then underneath the Dome of the Rock is the Well of Souls, according to Islamic tradition. Now, where do they get that idea from? Right? from Why Allah. would they? Sorry? From Allah. If it, <laughs> yeah. But who's borrowing heavily from somebody else? And um, Well, I just want to add something to what you said. And when you celebrate Shabbat, you're not celebrating the Jewish Shabbat. You're celebrating the work of God. You know, when he finished the work, as Aaron said, he physically finished everything and he rests. So you're celebrating that thing. You're not doing something very Jewish. So exactly. just wanted to uh, point at it too. <laughs> yeah. So Lynn uh, uh, sent a message in chat saying, how do we account for human claim of overpopulation? It's a human claim that the world is overpopulated. However, it is not. The human, human uh, civilization currently lives on approximately 10% of the planet. How do you know that? Because you can do the math. Basically, uh, one-third or you know, nearly two-thirds of the planet live in two countries, right? China and India. In fact, everyone, the entire 8 million of us, can have a house with a yard. We can all live in a country, a state the size of Texas. Isn't that interesting? And if you don't believe me, do the math. There's actually a website that does the math for you. And it shows you how much of the planet we're not living on. Our problem as humans, is we build cities and then live in them, and then we build a road to another city, and when we drive on the road, that's all we see, and we go from city to city and we think that that's all there is on the planet. But hop in a plane, hop in a helicopter, go for a ride, and you discover that, that uh, we don't live on much. In fact, uh, who's from England here? Who's, who's English? Okay. Um, how much of England is currently populated by humans? Does anyone know? It's 4%. Yeah, 4 I think it's, I think yeah. it's about 16,000, isn't it? About uh, 60, uh, 66 million, I think, in England. Yes, 66 million Scotland's people. even less populated. It's Scotland's mm -hmm. even less, and it's living on 
unbelievably mm. a small portion of the, yes. of the planet. When you actually get out of London or of the other big cities and go for a ride around the country, you suddenly realize no one's living anywhere. <laughs> mm. But it, it also doesn't mean that we have, we have to make kids every year. No, I know. You, yeah, if you look at the statics, you see the world population goes like this, and after the Second World War, it goes like this. So it, yeah. it doesn't come from God. And, no. But, uh, you know, everything oh, we yeah. have... Yeah, okay. Yeah. I don't want to go... Yeah, here's the thing. It, it, uh, on, yeah. on, on one level, it does, because we were told to fill the earth, and we, do, we don't. There's a great book. I'm going to type it in the... In the uh, um, in the I think okay. we need to make kids if we can take care of them. Yeah, the, there's a book. I just typed it in the chat called Empty Planet. Please no, read it. Don't read and, it. <laughs> yeah, it's a great... It's a, okay. okay, now what's the premise? What's the premise of this book? It's written by two Canadians who are not believers. So this book has got nothing to do with religion, okay? These are complete atheists. But what they do is they look at the birth rate of... Um, of uh, of the world, and they notice that it is is around you know one point four percent. That's the reproductive rate. What's the what's the rate of reproduction that requires a sustainable population? Does anyone know? Two point one. Correct. So if you have a birth rate of one point four for the world, what's the problem of the planet? Europe needs to get busy on making babies. It means it means it's actually going to run out. It's run out of people. Yes, yeah, and it's, it's very interesting. The actual model, computer models now, based on a 1.4 reproduction rate, is that um, we're actually going to run out of people in about 50 years. Exactly. Well, you no, know, Aaron. Aaron, they Okay. In the, in the 70s, there was this man called Paul Enric. He, he brought a concept called the population bomb. Mm -hmm. And um, he's a professor, and this concept of population bomb began to scare people, and that in the in the next fifty years that the world will not be able to support the population, and um, yeah. people are going to die of starvation, and so many things. And you know, and it falls because it in the next fifty years no. we we produce more food than we used to produce in the next yes. fifty. Look, even God doesn't want um, you to speak. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying, boy? <laughs> Sorry. I personally, so, yeah, okay, you finish it, okay. Yeah, so what I'm trying to say is that um, it's, it's a claim by humans and um, it's a claim by people that are trying to control population by fear. And yeah. it's, it's never true. We can never overpopulate this earth. And um, it's, it's very antile. Um, the gospel is very entitled. The Bible is the concept of Nimrod, and, and is very different from the concept of Abraham that we follow. Yep. Well, can, can I, I, I agree with you, Shimshon, one hundred percent. I don't. I would question you guys. Let, let I would question Shimshon, and I would question Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I love no it. That's fantastic. <laughs> Okay, let the Labour Party speak here in this house. <laughs> okay, but I personally think that our world is very overpopulated. We don't have enough jobs. The climate change, many things we see now, even the corona is because of the 
our population. I think we have to make kids as if we can take care of them. You don't have to make 20 kids, you know, and that's what I think. The world is not enough for this many people now. Oh, and you so, see so, so Moti and Bernardo can sit in the corner and uh, not have any children. The rest of us, like Shimshon and me, we're going no. to fulfill the biblical commandment and have... Uh, I already have three, man. Okay, that doesn't say go make kids to fulfill the world. Numbers yeah. are nothing. Yeah, no, I have to, I have to, have to disagree with Moti and Bernardo, and I agree with Shimshon. Well, and I don't, don't go, don't go with it. I don't know. You see, you don't. You, this is your life. Religion shouldn't tell you what to do. Yeah, but there is the reality. You know, in in Israel, we lost him. Cheaper. Everything was more. You know, everything was blessed. Now we have six million people. An apartment could cost you $1 million. And it's because of the population. Many people are here, they want houses, and it goes yeah. out. Yeah, know? that's true in the city. Mar yeah. Mordecai, who's having, I mean, besides the, um, the, the more orthodox, who's having, who's having a lot of the children in Israel? Well, nobody. A lot of the, the Palestinians? Nobody. Yes. Nobody. The Pal yeah, no, no, no. The Palestinians are like, if you, for example, in, in Europe right now, who's having well, the population? They have, okay. here's, a, here's a statistic for you. And this actually proves what Shimshon and I are saying. If everyone lived as densely as they do in Manila, the entire human race can fit in Tunisia. I, I don't think it cannot fit. If everyone lived as gently as they do in Manhattan, the human race can fit in New Zealand. But you look at Hong Kong, is it a good life? They feed yeah. many people there. I've leave Hong Kong, Hong Kong, Kong brother. They, 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 Brazil. Yeah. Brazil has so much space. Yeah. Is I it their quality all... life? Oh, I love oh, this discussion. Right. Where I live, yes. Yeah. But um, we, we it's just... have yeah. you got the cancer. That's why. But no. What about others? The the issue okay. is the planet produces food. It honestly does. If you actually read world. Uh, 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 United Nations food distribution uh, information about how they grow food from the World Food Program, they have never said the world doesn't grow enough food. Never. Yeah. What they say is we have a distribution problem. problem. Good. Okay? Absolutely. They, they don't. And um, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it goes back, the, the, the issue goes back to us as humans, not from God. His planet does exactly what he told it to do. And, uh, and so here we are, as a humans, having a distribution problem. It's our fault. It is not God's fault. All you have to do is obey the Torah, and you will do well. And what does he ask us to do? Fill the earth. Le malay et aorets. But how do you know it's about the numbers? Uh, that's my question. It's not about numbers. The numbers. The Jewish number. Jewish nation were never, never numbered. But look at the effectiveness of the Jewish nation. You don't need to be numbered to be, you know, fulfill the world. Okay. That's the thing. So Tom, Tom sends a screenshot, but I don't know what that means. Oh, there's no global warming. That's also true. Yeah. But if there is no global warming, we have to be uh, careful. Yeah. yeah.
Oh, you know, you see, uh, Marty, they said um, it was global warming that was the concept that was sold to us. But the fact that what is happening in the world is cannot be cannot be you know calculated into global warming. So now the new concept they are selling to us is um, climate change. There are two different things. Climates have always been changing. I mean, there, like they tell us during the time of the dinosaurs, the climate changed. Nobody was producing CO two to kill these dinosaurs. The world is changing on its own. It has not so much about Correct. our impact. Brother, you and I, Shimshon, we agree on this one. The, the world has been warming since the last ice age. Otherwise, we yeah. would still be in an ice age. Okay. Mm -hmm. and brother Bill Gates and I don't agree, disagree with you. Okay. <laughs> All right. So after we have handled overpopulation, misplaced of food supplies, absolutely poor government and the issue of global warming, let's go back to the Bible, shall we? Oh, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bill is calling me Aaron. He's no, always no. He's we're, we're doing sex, politics, and religion. You should have, be having more sex and having more no. kids. Uh, we should definitely <laughs> be changing the government because the politics is bad. Uh, and religion, it's Yeshua. Okay, good. I don't know we covered that up. Now we go with, uh, with no, the motion. Go back to Yvonne's point. What's that? Yvonne's point. I don't know. We have enough that's in the plain text. Yeah. Where the... Uh, Moshe's uh, strength was unabated and his Correct. eyes were not dim. Why were Correct. his eyes not dim? What's he the helped me as a horse. What? <laughs> Sorry. Yes, he helped me yes. as a horse. <laughs> he has spent so much time in the, in the Shekinah of God that um, his face began to shine and um, most part of his body began to be preserved like it was, you know. Uh, you know, um, Caleb said the same thing, that I feel the same way um, 40 years ago, the way I feel 40 years ago. That was what was happening to Moses. His eyes were not dim because of the time he had spent in the Shekinah. You know, the light of God was so powerful that his, his body began to glow under that um, anointing. You know, it was very powerful. But what was you he know? not allowed to do? Moshe was not allowed to do something. He's not allowed to enter the land, but he was allowed to do what? See it. See it. Allowed to see it. Okay. Right? Okay, yeah. But then go to yeah. Ivan's point of the spirituality of it. All of these writings of Moshe, he needs to see that the heart of the people at that point in time, what they were in the past and what they would be in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, that's very true. Very, very, very true. It's Ivan's point. I thought it was an incredible. Yeah, answer. I hadn't thought of that either. He gets to see the land. Yeah. And his eyes had not been, been hurt. Is what Yvonne said. Where yep. do I get? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We so should do the hundred midrashim on those. I haven't. I haven't seen the only midrash that I that I read on his um, his vigor um, was that. <clears throat> okay, you need to all block your ears now. Is, <laughs> Okay, is that um, he goes? His go. vigor was unabated. He he could still have sex with his wife. <laughs> okay. okay, and and you scratch your head and you think, okay, now why does that have to be in the midrash? Okay, is that <laughs> no, I think it means overall he was healthy. He God yes. kept him and preserved him to be a servant. That's easy. Let's let him, 
Yeah, let him climb a few more mountains to get that out of his system at 120. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you're about to die, what would you want to do on your last day? Okay, now come on, people. Let's climb the mountain. Ask, ask, a mountain. Woman, ask a woman if you could get a different answer to that. I'm, I'm 100% yeah. sure. But what we don't Morning. have is we don't have Sipora's issue here, okay? We've just got Moshe. Okay, Moshe's going up a mountain. He... Um, and he knows what's going to happen. He willingly goes, which is, which is another good point. He willingly goes. He does not fight this. Many of us fight our death, choosing not to, which is very interesting because we cling to this world, even though it is a good world. And let's remember, God so loved the world that there's no reason why we shouldn't enjoy it. Okay, This is the world God made. And, um, but he decides, no. And he makes a great choice. I will go where God tells me to go. And I climb up the mountain. I see, I spend time with my God and he takes my soul uh, to the, the world to come. It says that in verse nine, uh, eight, and the people of Israel wept for Moshe on the plains of Moab for 30 days. Now, why would they do that? Any idea why there's that amount of time? What is the normal time for mourning? There is no normal time. Correct. What? I mean, they sit. You sit sheva, but uh, here. Okay. Where, where's Where's the tradition that of where you sit sheva come from? Any idea? Outside the camp for seven days. Be clean. Seven days, eh? Yeah. I'm guessing. No, this COVID thing has us sitting Sheva forever. I'm tired of sitting Sheva. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, anyone, anyone have an idea? With the book of Job, with Job? It's actually um, with the story of Noah. Okay, and... Um, because it talks about how God, uh, the it, it talks about there was such much amount of time that he builds the ark and then seven days, then the rains come. And you go, why the extra seven days? And the tradition is, it's just a, a midrash, that this was because God was sitting Sheva for Methuselah, Methuselah, uh, who had died before the flood came. And that's where they get the idea of let's sit Sheva. And you, and you scratch your head and you go, who would have ever picked up that idea, okay? But that's, that demonstrates a very close reading of the text of our brothers in the Jewish world, okay, And uh, which we should learn from. We should also learn. Now, whether we have to agree with them or not, that's not the point. The point is that um, they read the text with a fine-tooth comb. Now, we have here Israel. Uh, weeping for 30 days and mourning for Moshe. Now, there is no 100% biblical verse that says, thou shalt do this much to, uh, to um, mourn a human. Uh, well, what you, get, you get essentially a month, okay? We, we have the, we have the, Aaron, we have the, ah, oh, what's the name? The 40 days of weeping for Tammuz, but that's later. 
That is true. That's a little later. Like Lent, right? How do you call it? Lent. Quaresma. Yeah, Lent, 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 Lent comes much, much later, but it's got a Jewish tradition to it. But let's not... Let's not uh, but maybe that, that was uh, maybe. Egyptian, the, the Egyptian period, the 30 days. Uh, they might have done. Did they, did they weep for Aaron for 30 days? Is that true? I didn't oh, look it up. They weep the, more. It wasn't the Egyptian embalming process 30 days? And didn't, um, wasn't Joseph's, I, Isaac. Yeah, no, it does say that they wept for Aaron for 30 days as well. So it seems that there must have been some sort of tradition. Uh, Bernardo, you might be correct. It could be a, a tradition they picked up in Egypt. Not 100% sure, but Aaron, it's not. In, in Genesis 50 verse 3, it says 40 days were required for him. For such are the days required for those who are embalmed. Ah, so it's an Egyptian thing. It's 40. Okay, so now, yeah, interesting. Because Moshe, Moshe does the complete opposite of what most Egyptians do. Most Egyptians embalmed. We have no idea where he's buried. Most Egyptians built huge mausoleums. Moshe has none of that. Most Egyptians are not remembered at all. No one has a clue, the kings of Egypt, but everyone remembers Moshe. All right, that's uh, uh, some, some big differences between him and, and Egypt. All right, so um, we're not 100% sure where the 30 days come from. However, that is what they do. And, and then the, the handover is Joshua, the son of Nun, who has spent a large amount of time in the tabernacle, which we, which we read before. Okay, and uh, he has the spirit of wisdom because he gets his hands laid on him. So there is something about the public uh, commissioning services that we do, and I think those are valuable. And here he gets uh, the, the, spirit, the spirit of wisdom with him. And the people obey him just as the Lord had commanded Moshe. So here again we notice this is not a democracy. No one's voting for Joshua. Thanks be to God so they'll still be voting for him um, every couple of years. Uh, we have, they, they got past their elections and they just had a handover. And uh, the people accepted this, um, which we don't seem to accept in our modern period. We, we, we've really embraced a thing called democracy, which is a Greek invention, in case anybody forgot that that's where it comes from. It comes from Greece, does not come from the Hebrew Bible uh, or Egypt for that matter. And there has not risen a prophet since in Israel like Moses. Obviously, this is the, um, uh, the redactor talking. Okay? Um, though, though there are some, some very extreme positions that say this is all written by Moses as a prophecy. He was writing this stuff ahead of time. You can believe that if you want, though there's absolutely no reason why you have to. Um, it doesn't matter whether a redactor added this little bit to the the Torah, it really doesn't. It certainly does not change Torah at all. And, uh, and no one has risen. Any, in, in, a prophet like this has never risen in Israel like Moshe, although other prophets have. And, uh, and the Lord, when the Lord knew him face to face, which is a very interesting comment um, and brings in all kinds of exegesis, 
because what is one thing humans can't do? I'm face to face with God. No human has seen God. Yes. And yet you get this phrase, Panim Le Panim. So what do you think it means, guys? Of course, anything we say is going to be exegesis of the text, which is great. Let's just just, just do it. That's what we do. So... Well, it's interesting because when God appeared to Abraham, he said, by, that by my name, the yud heh vav heh, I made my name not known to them. Yeah. He did make that name known to Moses. He did. he did. But that could also be read as a rhetorical question, as a question, right? Because did I not make my, known, make my name known to them? It's in Hebrew. It's Could not, be. I did most, not. Most did Jewish traditions don't, don't read it that way, though. That's true, Bernardo. You can read it that way because there's no punctuation in <clears> Hebrew. Uh, it's true. But, but a lot of, and there are a few commentaries that say that, although the actual term of the name of God um, doesn't sort of appear in, in terms of like God talking to Jacob or them reflecting his name. <clears throat> We're not 100% sure. But what do you guys think it yeah, means then, for Moshe to see him face to face? No, and it makes sense. It came, it came close to seeing, I mean, I, I mean, we saw that he saw his back. And yep. what that means is also opened for a lot of uh, more um, speculations. Um, but a new God, uh, you know, when we say uh, uh, see face to face, it's more like... Um, a poetic way of saying that in new God personally, you know. Yeshua. <laughs> okay, Roddy. Roddy leaps right to Jesus, right to Yeshua. Because uh, so, what do you think, Roddy? What do you reckon happened there? Yep, that's that's my uh, that's my guess. Okay. Then you have in the in the in the you know Hebrew Bible um, in the Brit Hadashah you have. Um, uh, here, for those born of women, there has no uh, arisen no greater prophet than John the Baptist. You have that one as yep. well. Yep, that's right. Because let's remember, the redactor is writing before we get to prophet Yeshayahu, before Yeremiah, before Yehezekiah, before any of these guys. He's, he's saying, like, you know, if this is the time of the judges when we're writing, well, I can really agree with this guy because. In the time of the judges, you kind of blew it. You know, you're all up and down. You're all over the map in the time of judges. Sometimes you're good. Sometimes you're bad. Sometimes you're good and you're not that good anyway. But when you're bad, you're pretty darn bad. Um, we're not 100% sure, but you're right. Uh, Yeshua says two things. He says, no one has seen God. That's, he, that's from the mouth of Yeshua himself. And he also says, no one has risen greater than John the Baptist. So you get these ideas that, that, there, that we had Moshe. He was amazing. But we're always looking for the guy that's like him. Remember what Moshe says in his own text. There will be someone like me. Come on in. So there was, this, there was this incredible hope every generation that we were going to get someone like him, maybe even a little bit better. And, uh, and so are we good? Are we good enough? Is God being gracious? Is God being merciful? Um, have the sins of the enemies um, deserved their punishment, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and so there was, there was always that hope. 
in every generation. Conversely, there was also in every generation, Amalek was coming. So you had this sort of cosmic struggle between where are we going to get the Redeemer? Was, uh, was Amalek going to overpower us? How are we going to, to live? And what was the best way? Well, the best way was let's live by Torah. Let's do what God said. And, uh, and away we go. So uh, according to in its context, okay, no one had risen like Moshe. And uh, he did signs, did wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt. So uh, there's that partake, that shared mission that heaven has with earth, that shared mission that God, God could have smacked Egypt, didn't need Moshe, but he used him. He doesn't need us to go and heal people. He can heal people, but he, somehow he delights it when we do. He could share his name and glorify himself in the world. And yet he requires us to go and share and expand the kingdom of heaven. He could beat the devil. In fact, he already has. But he delights it when we go and challenge that bad guy and chase away the demons. So there's this, there's this handshake that heaven and earth have. And the signs and wonders, they are the Lord's, yes. But they are done, al Yadei Moshe, by the hand of Moses in the land of Egypt, in Pharaoh, and to all his servants, and to all his land. And so we again see the connection between humans and the land as well, that God delights to have a people. He absolutely delights to have a people. He loves to have a people. He's always wanted to live with his people, and he wants to expand his people to include the Gentiles, which we see in the prophets. But he also delights that these people have lands. And, of course, you've got the Holy Land, the promised land, and this, this special land, which he gives to the people as an inheritance and then turns around and says, by the way, you're my inheritance, so, uh, which is an interesting thought. <clears throat> and the mighty power and the great deeds of terror that Moshe had done. And, uh, and the word there also does include some form of horror that on one side of the coin, Miracles are incredible. They're awesome. They're amazing. But not if you're the guy getting smacked by God, they're not. And so uh, there is the fear of the Lord that can be both healthy by the believer and terrifying to the uh, opponent of the Lord. And, and, and so there is an, 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 a side of God that we, you know, the fearful God, the the, the fire of God that should scare the pants off the enemy and we're all hoping that the devil is indeed uh, afraid. Um, and so he does all these things in the sight of Israel, uh, which is an interesting phrase. Um, I guess because just like the resurrection, it's, there's an eyewitness event. A lot, all the stories that we have, uh, stories where an eyewitness saw. You don't get stories of like, uh, well, somebody was in a room and no one knows what happens and he came out and uh, that was it. No, the, we are told that these things happened. A resurrection happened. A miracle happened. The river turned into blood. It happened. And there's some interesting <clears throat> uh, scrolls where they, um, they've discovered that reflect what the ten plagues were, that eyewitnesses wrote down their version of what they thought the 10 plagues were. 
um, which is now held in the um, one of the libraries or museums of of, uh, of Holland in the Netherlands. Um, well worth researching if you wanted to have a look for that. Okay, so Christine, what were the yeah. deeds of terror? Um, from as a question, those deeds of terror, um, the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. But on one hand, the people who were experiencing them, they, there is a sense of awe, of majesty, of, of delight, but there's also a sense of fear, and, and then they're terrifying, particularly terrifying to the people who are receiving them. That is, the, the, in this case, mainly the Egyptians, um, Amalek, and, uh, and those guys that came out against, uh, against Israel. So uh, the fear of the Lord is both a healthy thing um, if you're on his side and a very negative thing if you are against his side. Aaron, right. Yes, sir. Uh, one thing that just always sticks in my mind as we talk about these subjects, uh, Isaiah Ishiyahu says that uh, it's a future prophecy, maybe happening current currently, but God says, Egypt, my people, and Israel, my inheritance. Correct. And I, whenever we talk about um, us Jews being his people, um, I don't know. Why, do, why does it put, why is it phrased like that? That's a really good question. Um, that's Isaiah 19. Very specific. Yeah, Isaiah 19 calls Egypt my people, Assyria. Israel my inheritance, and Syria, Assyria my handmaid. Yep. It's, well, where, where does Egypt come from? It's Mitzrayim. It's part of the people. Yeah, and we yeah. come out of, and we come out of Egypt. Yeah, yeah. Jesus did. Yeah, uh, um, but it's very interesting that in yeah, that Isaiah 19 it describes. Um, uh, this highway, not 100% sure what that means, other than that there's some sort of connection that Egypt... That's like is Tom Hess's <clears throat> uh, main verse up there in IHOP. Yeah. No, not IHOP, J-HOP, Jerusalem House of Prayer. Well, I may be worried about it now then. <laughs> <laughs> you, you shouldn't be. God loves the world. And, and remember, there's an interesting midrash, again, just a midrash, that um, when, which you say and, dis and discuss when you're having Passover, that um, when Egypt <clears throat> was chasing Israel through the Red Sea and the waters closed over the Egyptians and all the Egyptians are dying and they're thrashing and the chariots are breaking and it's all horrible, the angels of heaven let out a, you know, a shout of joy. They were ecstatic and cheering and clapping and the, uh, the thunder of the heavens was, uh, was loud and the temple doors opened in heaven and a voice thundered out and it said, quiet, no one laughs while my people are drowning. And uh, we sort of get this idea that, you know, God just thought it was a great idea to kill the Egyptians. When we forget, he made them. And, and, uh, and so he also, he doesn't delight, you know, and uh, I just, you know, I thought it was so much fun to go and drown a bunch of Egyptians. Um, it was sad. He was, was, was not happy that he'd done it. He did it. He did it out of love, 
but that doesn't mean he was happy about it. All right. Yeah, it also says like not to be happy over the fall of your enemy because Correct. he might take your your victory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's true. Okay. Oh, I have a I have a um. I lost you guys. Yeah. Wait. How did I lose you here? Wait. <laughs> Hold on. Let me. You're sharing your screen. You're sharing your screen. I know. Wait. Sorry. I just hit something. Oh, there we go. I, I did have something interesting. I agree with you, Aaron. On he doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, he's not happy with the with the um, the death of the, the you know the non righteous and and but it, Egypt was a huge. It was like an embryo. It was an Egyptian womb. It was a surrogate mother. And, and they were there. And the whole, if you look at, you know, Exodus 1 and 2, like the first chapters, it's all about multiplying and coming out. So they're, mm -hmm. they're growing and Egypt is nourishing the child in the womb. You have the birth pains and the 10th plague. They go through the gate, which was, you know, bloody. So they're like getting pushed out of this Egyptian womb, passing through the waters onto dry land as a, as a, as a nation being birthed out of Egypt. So you have this Egyptian womb uh, idea. And so that's very interesting that what Roddy said about Egypt, my people, because Egypt was in a sense, the surrogate uh, nation, the surrogate womb. Um, and then I had another, uh, something that I wanted to, you know how there's this midrash on Esther that, you know, over the 127 provinces, and then you have the life of Sarah was a hundred plus 20 plus seven. I was looking, I always like to look at the numbers. So I think there's just a couple places in the in in the Torah where it talks about 120, and uh, that's one of them is with uh, the Noah's flood, and uh, he you know he he says my my spirit shall not always strive with man, uh, his day shall be 120, and so you have that whole concept of Noah and then coming uh, Noah and then you have 120 years of Moses. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, um, what could be the correlation? I was just kind of thinking through here with Moses, you have a new phase of a new life into a new creation as they come out of the ark. And then now with, uh, through the death of Moses and the, con you know, the, the continuity with, with um, Joshua, you're going to cross over that Jordan river into a new life and a new creation. So kind of interesting with two, with two numbers. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, guys, we have come to the conclusion of the Torah. Can you believe it? This is a book that was incredibly popular in antiquity. This is the book that we find the most in the ancient world. This is the book that is quoted, okay, more times than any other book in the New Testament and in books outside the New Testament. Although in the Talmud, okay, a book that they quote a lot, by the way, is Job, just so you know. Yeah, they really love quoting Job in, in Talmud Kuma. Um, we have Moshe um, read, not redefining, but making sure that the Torah is on your heart. He downplays or minimizes the role of the tabernacle. All the things that we see in Leviticus, he, he, he literally doesn't talk about. He downplays the calendar and the sacrifices and heightens the role of the Torah on the heart. He introduces the system of government for the people, which is a monarchy, a monarchy that is appointed by uh, God. He gives another 
uh, uh, function of government, the judiciary, which, by the way, is the priesthood, and um, and then the the role of the of the king is diminished. He does not become all powerful. He actually has to have not a lot of soldiers, not a lot of 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 horses, not a lot of wives not a lot of money. His role is the first thing the king does when he ascends to the throne is write the Torah. The, remember, what Moshe is trying to impart to the people of God as they enter the land of Israel that is going to make them to be a light to the nations is please make sure that the Torah is on your heart. Please make sure that these guiding principles that God has been teaching you, that you put into practice, that uh, you become uh, the nation that God wants you to be. And, uh, and in so doing, you're going to, the, the nations will say, what other country has ever got such wisdom from heaven? Um, none of us have a Torah like you. And uh, unfortunately, it doesn't work out the way that they, they wanted. But that was the, uh, the intention um, that, Moshe, that Moshe wanted. Uh, and so... Um, the, the book of Deuteronomy is, a, is one of those books that is wrestled by scholars because it looks so different from the other four books that they wrestle with when it was actually made. And uh, the tradition is that it was begun by Moshe and was finished by Joshua. The skeptics and the scholars will say, no, it was compiled by Josiah, but don't believe that. That's just uh, our wonderful skeptics. Um, and it, uh, it contains um, a material that, as we have been studying, applies in a very real way to our communities today. None of the, of the laws that we read uh, don't apply uh, to the people today. They all had spiritual applications for us. We wrestled with them. We discussed them. We tore them apart. We um, complained about them in some cases, particularly in relation to how many women we were allowed to have and what we should do with our slaves. But um, these were these were things that were very relevant to the, to the people of God back then and still relevant to the people of God today. And uh, I think it's a delight that Moshe took the time and by the inspiration of the Spirit, of course, to stand before his people, whom he knew weren't going to do so well, but with hope, because there's always hope. Remember, suffering produces perseverance, character, and hope. Moshe was full of hope that uh, he was sending his people into the promised land, that they would actually see their Redeemer that they would actually fulfill their commands, that they would delight to have the presence of God in their midst, where that was going to be the Mishkan in, uh, the, in Shiloh, the tabernacle in Shiloh, or whether it was going to be the Beit HaBindash in Jerusalem, the, um, the, tab- uh, the house of God, the temple uh, in Jerusalem. But, uh, the, at, at the, the point was God was meant to be present, and even if there was no temple, Moshe had even set up, uh, a prayer where he said, when you pray, you say this, Lord, look from heaven and, uh, and, and, and address my concerns. And so uh, Moshe has covered. Okay, let's bases. do it all again. Let's do it all again. Yeah, yeah no. Sure. Okay. That's our summary. The, uh, I'm going to stop the uh, uh, recording and then we get to discuss 
what the heck are we going to do next? So, <laughs> brothers and sisters, for all of those who have been listening or watching, thank you for joining us for the last words of Moses. They are certainly not the last words of the Bible. Uh, they continue to speak to us fresh and new every morning. They are the words of God. They are the words of the Spirit, and they are life. And as Moshe says, choose life. All right. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.